Welcome to the Legacy House Podcast. Our mission as a church is to equip people to know God, live free, and find purpose. We express the mission of our church through adoration, biblical teaching, creativity, and discipleship. We have prepared this message for you, and we know God is going to use it to minister to you wherever you are and in whatever situation you're going through. All right, Psalms chapter 90. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth, to the, gave birth to the earth and the world, and from the beginning to the end, you are God. Verse 3, it says, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. For you, uh, for you a thousand years is as a passing day and, a brief, and as brief as a few hours in the night. Verse 5, it says, you sweep people away like the dreams that disappear, and they are like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning, it blooms and flourishes, but by evening, it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger, which this sounds super intense. I know you're like, this is like, don't, please don't preach this on Easter. No, trust me. Uh, just hang with me. It says, we wither beneath your anger and we are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out your, our, our sins before us, even our secret sins. We see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to eighty. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble, and soon they disappear when we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is awesome and your... Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Verse 12. Now, this is the anchor verse, okay? This is, if we're, if we're, if we're picking a spot to throw out an anchor and we're going to kind of let everything revolve around, it's going to be verse 12 here. Verse 12. Teach us how to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Teach us how to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Now, this is going to be kind of the, the, the point that we pivot around this morning. We're going to kind of continue to read down through the end of the chapter, but, but heart, like highlight, mark, underline, whatever, that verse, because that verse is going to be pivotal uh, to this morning. It says, Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants and satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let your servants see you work again. Let your children see your glory. And the Lord... Our God, show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, you make our efforts successful. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you today. God, we thank you for what you're doing. God, we thank you for, uh, God, this, this moment. I thank you that we were able to just pray and dedicate the lives of four babies to you this morning. Lord, we just pray again, God, that you would, your hand would stretch out before them. God, we want to be a church, Lord, that leads and empowers and trains and makes room, God, for the next generation. Father, we love you today. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, I'm going to throw some stuff at you this morning because I believe it's important. I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a fan of this. I'm a proponent of this. Is that I believe it's important to really understand what the Scripture is trying to say. We have to understand the context of the Scripture. Easy, easy enough it is to, to just read the words on the page and be like, hmm, okay, that's good. Uh, but really we have to understand kind of the moment and the place that this is coming from. Uh, you might know it, you might not, but Psalms 90 is actually the first psalm that was actually written. Uh, psalms 90 is the oldest psalm in the entire Bible. Uh, and really, it's, it's not just like uh, kind of old or a couple years older. Really, Psalms 90 was written about 500 years, uh, most scholars and theologians believe, uh, which I am neither. But most, uh, most uh, uh, scholars and theologians believe that Psalms 90 was written 500 years before the second psalm was ever written down. 
And specifically, it was written by Moses. Uh, Psalms 90 and 91 were both written by Moses. And people have debated that because often the general thought is that David wrote all of the Psalms. He was, you know, uh, a, a musician before the Lord. So David, we kind of have this picture of David just sitting under a tree somewhere uh, in, in the Middle East playing a harp, uh, writing Psalms all day long, and he writes all the way through the entire book. But it actually began, uh, it actually began with Moses. And he begins to write this down and he begins to talk about, he begins to talk about really from the perspective of what his life has been. It's really uh, one of the most complex and, 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 and deep Psalms in the entire Bible. Because what happens is it's easy like this for a lot of things in our life to just kind of read over and be like, oh, that's kind of good. Like I, I get the first part, the Lord, through all generations you have been our home before the mountains. We, we're with that. And then it kind of can take a weird turn uh, in verse 3 down through about verse 11 or 12 where it seems really, really super intense about God's wrath and anger towards us and we're just dust that he sweeps away and like grass, the next person is born and we're not, kind of has this intense verse and then it gets all the way down to verse 12 to this anchor and this is really, really the statement that Moses is trying to make in all of this. He says, Lord, teach us how to realize the brevity of life so that we might grow in wisdom. Teach us, teach me, teach you, teach us collectively how to realize how short life actually is so that we can grow in wisdom. Today I want to talk a little bit, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of, of finding our frame, finding our frame. Uh, there's a, we have a lot of people for, it just, it's kind of the way that it's worked inside of our church. It's, it's funny how many people inside of our church uh, have a, a writing degree of some sorts. Uh, it just, it, it feels like every person I meet uh, who's a first-time guest or a new person, they're like, yeah, yeah my degree's in, in writing or in, in, in different things like that. And so you understand that in, when you write, there's, there's different styles in which uh, an author can write a story uh, or, or a screenplay, whatever it might be. And uh, there's, there's two that are completely different, but yet we see them often the same, which is point of view and perspective. I think in our lives today, and we're going to find this in the scripture in Psalms 90, is that we mistake really uh, point of view and perspective as the same thing. Well, this is my perspective. Well, that's not really actually accurate. Perspective is the viewpoint from someone else. Point of view is really how I see this. And so Moses begins to write this psalm in Psalms 91 from his point of view. It wasn't his perspective about what was happening because there wasn't other players involved here. This is Moses speaking directly from his life. He says, look, not only uh, is this what I, I, I have, I, I, I feel, but this is what I've lived. I, I feel this because I've lived this. Um, it's easy in our world, in the day and the time that we live in, to take on the weight and responsibility of things that were never meant or intended for us. We can take on the offense of someone else. We can take on the joy of someone else. We can take on the pain of someone else. And we can allow someone else's perspective to begin to influence how we live our life. We, like, we can allow what's happening through them to begin to determine how we respond. And it's interesting because uh, we, we can almost begin to think that their reality is our reality. We can almost begin to think that the pain that they are feeling is, is pain for me as well, or, or the joy that they're feeling is joy for me as well. The success, maybe, even, that they're experiencing, well, it's success for me as well. And that might be our point of view, uh, but the reality is, is it, it it's not actually where we are, it's where they are. So today I want to talk a little bit about that idea of finding our frame. Uh, you ever, you remember when cameras didn't have screens on them? 
uh, and you had your roll of film, uh, and, uh, and you would take your, your, your roll of film to Walmart's $1 Express or their, their one-hour Express uh, photo service. And some of you have never taken... How many of you, just by this, will show you the demographic of our church real quick. Uh, how many of you have never dropped off a roll of film anywhere to be, to be developed? Raise your hand if you've never dropped off a roll of film anywhere to be developed. Nice. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Uh, there's this thing called film and uh, it was in a camera and it was brown and it was long and and I like to open the back of the cameras while it was still in there and that's not good for the film and uh, and and it's funny because you would take this film and you would develop it but the interesting thing about when you would develop uh, when you would develop film is that you couldn't really see what had actually been caught inside of the frame of the picture Uh, you would have about Half of your roll uh, that would be blurry or would be half of a shot or be completely orange, like the, the photo itself would just be this orange blob. And you, you never really knew until the film was fully developed what was going to actually be inside of the frame. But now the world we live in is completely different. You have a cell phone or you have a digital camera. Uh, and really almost digital cameras, unless they're like in a professional setting, are kind of obsolete. You probably don't you know, go with, hanging out with your friends and pull out your, you know, Canon sure shot and like try to get a group photo. No, you just pull out your, pull out your cell phone and you just take a picture. And the interesting thing about that is that it's much easier to get the picture right when we can see what's happening. It's much easier when you have the point of view where you're looking at the camera and you are taking a picture of yourself. You will take that one picture 500 times until you get the exact right one that you can post. Uh, and you, you, it looks effortless when you put it on the internet, but little do people know you just spent a, a gig of memory uh, just trying to get that one photo of you holding a cup of coffee perfectly sitting by the window you know, while the sun comes in. And it's funny because I used to say, I used to tell people in youth ministry, the interesting thing is, is as people and as a society, we used to take pictures of things. Now we take pictures of us looking at things. Like, we're not actually taking a picture of us. Like, it's not about the stuff anymore. It's about us reacting to the stuff. Like, oh, this is me and my day. Oh, this is me and my food. Like, hey, this is me at Disney. It's all about, like, it's all about uh, the focus has shifted. Uh, What was in the frame is now different. It, it uh, It used to be what you were looking towards that was inside of the frame. Now it's what we, where we are, uh, or, or the moment, or the place that we stand in, and kind of how we see it. And really, really, what has happened is, is that in the way that that has shifted naturally in our culture, it's shifted spiritually. Instead of looking at and seeing the places that God is calling us to, and having our eyes set on where we're headed, and focused down the road, we often take the camera and spin it back on us to look at where I currently am, how I currently feel. Here's Moses, and he's reading Psalms 90. I'm going to read this to you again. And we're going to kind of break this down into three parts. Really, here this, this chapter is, and a few things I want to share with you. Verse 1, Psalms 90, it says this. It says, Lord, through all generations, you have been our home. Lord, through all generations, through every moment, through every season, uh, the, uh, the, a more literal translation of this scripture says that in successive generations, you have been our home. Not just right now, uh, not just it was great back then. Uh, you have kind of a paradox between generations where uh, the older generation can often look about how things used to be in the moments when you didn't hurt every morning when you got out of bed and your bones didn't ache. Uh, and then the, the younger generation can always be wanting the next day. Well, when I get to college, or I just can't wait to get married, or I just can't wait to have kids, or I just can't wait 
to have my own place. And it's like, yeah, your own place comes with utility bills and it comes with, uh, you know, all kinds of different things. So the younger generation can spend all of their time looking forward and it's easier the older you get to wind up spending all your time looking backwards. But what Moses begins to identify here is he says, look, God, in every season, in successive seasons, God, you have moved. Please do not fall into the trap that I really believe is a lie of the enemy to make us believe that God has moved in moments but does not continually move. It's easy to live in a spot in a a, a mental state that we wait for God to move. We live in a city where there has been moves of God. But really what's interesting about this is is those things were great and God used them to impact and to change people's lives as he has all around the world. But God does not just move in moments. The Bible talks about him being like a river that's flowing and moving and shifting. His mercies are new every single morning. It's not just the same thing every day. The river doesn't just stop and wait for a year or wait for the next generation or wait for a next moment or the next relationship, then begin to move again. No, God is constantly moving. He's constantly speaking. He constantly has something that he wants to give to us. The question really is, have we allowed that to become a part of our frame? Is that, is that inside of the picture that we see for our life? It's funny because a, a, I, I, I do this. Maybe you don't. But when I take a photo, I'm intentional about what's inside of the picture. Uh, you'll, you'll angle. You'll take a certain way. You probably have angles that you hate for people to take photos of you from. Typically, it's like if you're sitting like Indian style on a couch and someone's sitting on the floor, you just, everybody just looks like Yoda sitting there. Like everybody just looks, you're just kind of like, why do I look like I've got a thousand chins right now? And then, that's the photo someone will post on the internet. Like it's not the photo where you felt like you actually look good. It's the photo where like you're like, you look like you have a, a lazy eye or your mouth is wide open. Like you would never post it, but they definitely will. And, uh, it, and it's funny because like we, we're intentional about what we put out there. We're intentional about what's inside of our frame. If, you know, it's like you see people, they'll take a picture in their bedroom, and it's like if you, if you back that photo up a little bit further, what you can't see is all the clothes on the ground. It looked, the outfit looks cute. The sun's coming in behind them, but you can't see the, like, the six-inch deep mess that's on the floor. Like, they look cute and put together now, but pan the camera down, and you'll see what's really going on inside of the room. And there was interesting because there, there, there was this saying that, I think it was Jerome, which is literally my favorite biblical historian of all time, simply because the fact his name is Jerome. Like, you know, you have all these great guys like of those days had these really just amazing names. And then you've got Jerome. Like, I feel like he was probably the outsider. Like, he, like it was probably like everybody got a little uncomfortable when Jerome showed up. And it, there was a thing that he talked about where, uh, and I believe it was him. Uh, don't quote me on this. But he said, how we do every, how we do anything is how we do everything. How we do anything is how we do everything. Really helping us to understand that it's not just about how we live in the great moments. Like it's not just about Easter for us as a church. Uh, we had the legacy library thing. We talk often about it with our outreaches. We don't take up a special, we, don't, we didn't take up a legacy library offering. Uh, we, we, we let it be something that just comes from who we are. Reaching our community is a part of who we are. It's not a we were talking about last night at the house, and, you know, I've, I've grown up in ministry. Mom and dad are here today. They're, they're back off the road. They've been traveling for the last few weeks. Uh, we grew up in ministry, and, and uh, I grew up in the Nazarene denomination. My dad pastored the Nazarene denomination for over 20 years, and 
Then uh, after that, we, we, we the, my dad started a church here in town, uh, Kingsway, and Kingsway, uh, we, we relaunched and, and became Legacy House, became this, what, what this is today. And, and it's interesting because in every season, in every moment, what you realize is that somewhere along the line, we've made life about something that it's really not. We've made Christianity about something that it's really not. Maybe you grew up in a, in a high church background. Maybe you grew up in a, uh, in, in, in a very strict, religious, kind of staunch environment. But God has something he wants to speak to us today. But often we live like I have to wait till someone tells me the word of the Lord before I can actually move in the word of the Lord. And Moses says, he's like, look, hey, God, you have been the same in every, you have been my home in every generation. Really what's interesting here is home is not a just specific location like this. This, this is not WSRE, the, the Gene and Paul Amos Performance Studio, as beautiful as a building as this is. This is not our home. And he's not talking physically about the house that you live in, that you maybe looked a little bit better or wish had, you know, good square footage. Uh, Jacob's mom's a realtor. She can hook you up with a, a good spot if you need one. But, like, it's not about finding your next place. She said she would give me 5% commission if I said it. No, she was, she was, she's like, actually, I will. Like, let's make that happen. Uh, but, it's, you know, we, we can look at our natural setting, our natural home, and you're like, you know, we can almost be disappointed. Uh, we, can, we can see things that we didn't like. Well, I wish the backyard was bigger. I wish you had a pool. I wish I didn't have a pool. I wish whatever it might be. Like, I, we can begin to look at this, but really what Moses begins to understand that I think is important for us to know is that our home has to be in him. Our home is not in anything physical. Our home is only in something spiritual and eternal. But the problem is, is that we often get confused and dejected by God because we've seen him as someone who's trying to create a physical structure for me to find my home in. Here's the thing. You will be disappointed by church at some point in your life. Wait a minute. Like, I thought this, was good. this church was different. No, guess what? We're not. Why? Because we're still made up of the same type of people who are at other churches. We're humans. You're sitting next to humans. We're surrounded by them everywhere. But we can kind of live in that spot where we begin to think about this and, and we begin to think about our home as being a fixed structure, because we all are in a meeting this week about uh, of what God has given us and, uh, and the resources that we have. We want to reach people at all costs. We've said, uh, you ever pray those prayers that you're like, oh, we were talking yesterday uh, with Lexi. You pray those prayers sometimes where it's like, Lord, even if one person shows up, I'll do it like there's a hundred. That's great until one person shows up. Like, you, you feel super spiritual praying that, and then one person shows up, and the Lord's like, okay, are you still going to do it the same way? Because that's where we have to begin to identify, really, where is our home? See, because if our home was in that event, if our home was in this building, if our home was in our accomplishments or whatever we've walked through in our life, then what we'll begin to do is we'll begin to attach our joy and our hope to that physical home. But that home might fail your expectations. I, I, there, I will preach a message that you will not like. And I'm not talking convicted. You're just like, I didn't get it. Like, like you, I will preach one of those at some point. Hopefully not a whole lot of them, but I'll preach some of those. And, I, uh, and I've preached them already. Uh, where it's like, okay, God, speak to me through that. Uh, whatever that was. Well, uh, but like we have those moments where we can begin to put our expectations in what we see. And when our expectations are what, in what we see, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. We're setting ourselves up for the moment where it's like, okay, God, like I, I, I pray that prayer often. We, we, me and Bethany do, where it's like, Lord, I, we, I will go, I, I will give everything that we have to reach this city. 
I will give everything that we have to reach the city. That's great, but then you often follow that prayer up with, Lord, bring in the resources that we need to reach the city. Why? Because it's like, do we really mean, have we found ourselves, there's a great biblical word that talks about abiding in him. Abiding in him is not a momentary word. It's a continual word. It's a, it's a, a, a traveling word, if you will. So where the Lord goes, I go. When the Lord speaks, I speak. When the Lord moves, I move. I abide in him. It is the frame. Really what we find before we go any further is we find that we, God has created a frame in which we operate. He's created a frame for our world. You see in verse two where it says, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and to the world, from beginning to the end, you are God. There was never a moment that God began. We think, we read the verse, Genesis chapter one, verse one, where it says, in the beginning, God. And we attribute to the fact that like, that must've been the moment that God, just whatever he did to become, he became. But he existed before the beginning ever started. And Moses tries to get us to understand this. And it's, it, I know it's broad and, it, and it's, 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 it's not just the John three sixteen God loves you and he sent his son to die for you, which is a powerful verse and we have to understand it. But it's beyond that. Because some of you in here today, maybe what you need is, maybe this is your first time back in church in a very long time. And really what you need is you need a re-experiencing, a, 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 a new training what this is actually all about, of what really has been called to be inside of your frame. I know I have wasted a lot of time on stuff that is stupid. I know I've wasted a lot of worry on things that never produced any fruit. We can talk about it. It's, it's the essence of being a portable church where you set up and you tear down different things like that. I, I, it's interesting because I, you, can, you can look at everything. It's like, is it a coincidence like this? Is it a coincidence that, you know, speaker goes out mid-service and just have, no. So what do you do? Do we focus on that? No, because that's a speaker. And at some point, that's just going to be sitting in a, in a garbage dump somewhere, probably sooner rather than later if it keeps it up. <laughs> but it's just that. It's, resources can replace it. There's things in our lives that resources cannot replace. Resources cannot fix your joy. Resources cannot make you forgive. Resources cannot give you purpose. They can maybe give you a sense of identity, but they cannot give you purpose. So we begin to look at the things around us. It's easy for me as, a, as the pastor of Legacy House. It's easy for me to begin to look around at these things where you begin to identify, okay, like, yeah, I can get distracted by all kinds of stuff. Like, it's just stuff. It's so stupid. But it's because the details matter, but really at the end of the day, the, the, what matters is that the Spirit of God, is he moving inside of my life? Am I abiding in him? Has he become a part of who I am and what I'm doing or how I'm operating? I want you to look at something real quick. There's, there's three places, and you can just kind of write this down. There's three places inside of this scripture that, the, 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 that Moses calls out to the Lord, and he calls the Lord by name. The first one is in verse 1. The second one is in verse 13, and the third one is in verse 17. It's three different times where, the, where Moses says, Lord. And the interesting thing about this is, is that we read it in our Bible as just Lord at all times. Moses must be saying the same thing. But interestingly enough, for whatever reason, 
inside of this Psalms, Moses really truly in the original tr uh, translation and text get, refers to the Lord by three of his different names in these different spots. The first time in verse one, he refers to the Lord as Adonai. So in verse one, he's referring to the Lord as Adonai here, which really shows the Lord's um, specifically that his, his lordship in all of this, his function inside of this, that he is, he is uh, the, the, the overseer, the, the foreseer. He, he's the one who, who is in authority over this situation. So as he begins to speak of this, he says, Lord, through all generations, you have been our home. He's not speaking from just like a, a sentimental place. He's not speaking from just this like uh, momentary, like reminiscent place. No, he's not looking back, reminiscing on like his high school days, his younger days. Like what was Moses thinking about when he wrote Psalms 90? Was he thinking about the moment at, at, at the burning bush? Was he thinking about how, how God encountered him out of nowhere? Like, God, that, that's amazing what you did. Was he thinking about the fact that he led these these, these million plus people out of captivity, out of captivity into Egypt, uh, out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And he walked around, lived his whole life. And then was he realizing at this point when he wrote Psalms 90 that he was never going to see the promised land? You understand that Moses led them out of Egypt, but he did not lead them into the promised land. And we could talk about why that is for another time and maybe, you know, a 12 week Bible college class. I don't know, but like, but the reason that he led them out was not because of what he would receive on the back end. He led them out because they could not stay in captivity any longer. So when he writes these first two verses, what he's saying is he's like, Lord, hey, uh, you are uh, uh, not just my helper. You're not just my comfort. He's not calling him like uh, Jehovah Jireh here. He's not saying you're my provider. He is saying you are the authority and overseer in my life. He's saying from the moment that you led me out, even if you don't lead me in, I will serve you. From the moment you brought me from somewhere, God, I believe that even in the midst of this journey, like, can you imagine this? Like, Psalms 90 is pretty intense. Psalm 91 is a, is a, is a psalm that a lot more people quote because it's, it's him speaking from this place of like, it's in conjunction, really, they're the same thing. They're the same letter. They just broke it into two parts. And, and you have this moment where he begins to talk about the struggle that he's walked through the point of view that he has. He says, Lord, I saw you at the burning bush. Lord, I, I, I saw the plagues. I, I, like, can you imagine? Like, the things that Moses saw. He says, in every moment, you are God. In every moment, the only way that I'm able to do this is that I have chosen to abide in you. I've made you my home. I've put you inside of my frame. What happens in our lives is that our frame can often get clouded with everything except the one thing. It's truly beneficial for our lives. Talking to somebody yesterday, we did a, did a, a wedding yesterday evening uh, for Shannon and Wes. We've come to the church for quite a while. And I was talking to someone at, at, the end of the, at the end of the wedding, and I said, you know, I said, nothing that is sourced by the Spirit will be able to be sustained. Nothing... Whatever we try to do outside of our flesh will eventually wear out. That's why a lot of times, even in our commitment to the Lord, it's a response of our flesh. Maybe we feel like, you know, it's something I need to do in the moment, but we don't allow it to become our actual home. It's a, it's a temporary spot. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, a line item on our agenda of the week. Sunday, go to church. What I do? I grew up in the South. That's your reason? 
Like, no. We're here because he is our home. We're, we live, we breathe. The Bible says that we have life because of who he is. Go on down with me, if you will. Verse 3. Verse 3, 4, and 5 are interesting because low-key, Moses is kind of like, hey, he begins to tell you about his journey and his experience. Moses, he begins to kind of let us know, you know, what happened early in the Scripture. Genesis, uh, Psalms 90, verse 3 says, you turn your people back to dust, saying, mortal, return to dust, you mortals. That's a reference to Genesis chapter 3, about how, how we, are all, we are all made with just uh, flesh and blood, but, but we will eventually return to dust. Verse 4 is a reference to Genesis chapter 5 which says, for you, as a, for you as a thousand years is a passing day and a brief as a few hours in the night. Genesis chapter five talks about the golden age of man and it talks about how God is great and how the perspective of God versus the perspective of the us is completely different. It's, it's the furthest opposite extreme that we could imagine. If a thousand years is as a day, like take a moment, don't just let that be like a poetic thing that Moses wrote about. Like literally, like wrap your brain around that. A thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. God's scope and sight is far greater than even anything that we can imagine. His reach and his view inside of our life and inside of our world, what we've been struggling with, what we've been walking through, it seems so massive right now. It doesn't even hardly register as a moment. But what we can begin to do and what I've begun to do in my own life as I can kind of get to the point where Moses gets here in verses 3 through 11, they begin to talk about the anger and the wrath of God and the disappointment. Lord, what is this all about? And it's just, my life is going to end, and really, what have I done? And Moses talks about all this. And Genesis chapter 5 also talks about Methuselah and how he lived to be about 1,000 years old. And, and now you get all the way to Moses in, in Psalms chapter 90, and he gets down to verse 10, and he says, look, 70 years are given to us. Some maybe even get 80. So Moses has already seen such a quick decline because of the sin nature. He's seen such a quick recession where he's like, I just hope I make it to 80. You know, and he references back to the point that there was a moment in time where people's lives were sustained by the glory of God. It, it, it's not because they just ate better. It's not just because their lives were less busy or that's all they did was focus on bible things. No, it's because the source of their life. We live in a fallen world. We, we, our our, our Our goal and our hope is, is really not, and then go with me on this, but our goal is really not to change the world. Our goal is to change people. I could preach messages 24 hours a day for the rest of my life, and I will never be able to change the fact that sin entered the world in the garden, and because of that, we live in a fallen world until God chooses to return. But what I can choose to do is I can choose to tell everyone I know about the hope that I've found in Christ. We mistake that. We sit around and we think, well, God, you just need to change our country. God, help our whatever it might be. Our relationships, our politicians, our, our jobs. God, change the stuff. I believe he first wants to change us, and then from us, he wants to change others. I said it, not nah, said For Easter, best invitation is a personal Why? Because you know somebody who needs to. 
And they're not even really waiting for Easter. Easter might be a moment for them that like they're, they're a little bit more accustomed or comfortable with coming to church maybe for the first time or a long time. But really, what we've been called to do is we've been called to be people who abide. Again, let me give you these things really quickly and I'm gonna close in the next couple minutes. Look down at verse 12. It says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. There's four things I'm gonna give you. Take me about three minutes. First thing that the Lord wants to do for us to begin to get our frame into right alignment is he wants us to return. He wants us to return. Look at verse 13. It says, Lord, come out this verse is, Moses understood because he'd walked through a lot. He'd seen a lot. He had, he had had a lot of things happen in his life to him, through him, all these, types, all these types of things. And Moses says, hey, Lord, when are you going to come back to me? But really, I think the true question here is, is not, Lord, when are you going to return to me? But it's when am I going to allow myself to return to you? God does not pick us up and transport us into our purpose. Look, you might be a full-grown man in here, old enough to be a police officer, whatever that might mean. But like you, 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 if you've got kids and you've got a job and you've got a roof over your head, but for some reason you're waiting for God to force you into relationship with him, it will never happen. God is not going to do it. But what we need more than anything else in our society is men to begin to lead inside of their home. Now, don't get me wrong. We're a church that believes in women. I don't believe women have just been created uh, to cook and procreate. Um, but I believe God has given purpose. He's given, uh, he's given identity. He's placed giftings and callings on their life to share the word of the Lord, to speak what God has placed inside of them. Uh, I, I, I am not Bethany's mouthpiece, nor should you be your wife's. God gave her a mouth for one reason. It's to speak from it. But what happens is, is that inside of our lives and inside of our society, men have shrunk back. They've shrunk back. And so women have had to stand up. And inside of the church, we've made the mistake, like, I'm not sure about all this, this, these women. <laughs> okay. You're married to one, so, like, we're not sure about it, because like, I want to know how to, uh, I, you know, First Timothy 2, brother. But you begin to look at it, and what you begin to understand is you understand that really what's happened is, as guys have become all, and this is sorry that this is maybe going down a weird road, but guys have become almost so passive in their leadership that often in many homes, the wife is the one who's having to carry the spiritual weight and responsibility of the entire house, and God never intended for her to have to carry that. If we're going to reach a city, we'll make a big dent with, with the women that we have inside of this house, but we can make an even greater dent if myself included in this as a man in this house would step up to the plate for what God is actually calling me to. I don't want to be a Christmas and Easter Christian. Like, I'm like, oh, I come every now and then. Like, okay, great. But guess what? God wants more for you than that. And it's not that he wants you to punch a card. Like, this isn't like Smoothie King where after you come for 10 free visits, like you get an extra sin one weekend. Like you get a weekend off. Like, just go for it. So it's a three margarita weekend. No, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. He wants to abide in you. The difference is, is that when I see this as a location and I see my my relationship as a location, and my worship as a location, then what I begin to do is, is I begin to attribute God in specific locations. So he's not with me until I'm there. Lord, I just need to get to church this morning. I just need to hear the word of the Lord. Maybe he wants to speak to us in our car. Maybe he wants to speak to you at your house. Maybe he wants to speak to you in your shower, even though you're naked. Maybe he wants to speak to you right there. 
God isn't waiting to return to us. He's waiting for us to return to him. And as we begin to return to the Lord, then our frame can begin to be in focus. The second thing is this. Verse 15, it says, give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. There are some things I believe that the Lord wants to restore in you. He wants to restore some stuff in you. I love the fact that Moses did not leave it there where he said, Lord, who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Amen. That's it. Like he doesn't wrap it up right there. He he didn't close the Psalms down and say, God, you're killing everybody. Amen. Like there is no Selah at the end of verse 11. Like think about God's anger. No, what he's trying to say is, is God, in proportion of the miserable things I've had to walk through and the things that I've experienced, God, restore back to me my gladness and joy. I'm telling you right now today, there's some people inside of here that the only thing that is holding you back from stepping into the purpose that God has for you is not God wanting or moving or giving another word. It's about you allowing the Lord to restore your misery and turn it into gladness. It's about allowing you to move from this place where you're just like, well, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I've tried this before. Brother, lay it down. You might have been, a lot of people leave church because they were hurt by church at some point in their life. I understand that. I understand that. People call you, tell you crazy things, say crazy things, do crazy things. But look, don't, if you get offended at anybody today, don't get offended at God, get offended at me. Because I believe we have a responsibility in our culture to speak truth. And when men do not step up, we've left an unfillable gap. When we as people, man or woman, don't step up, we, we, we leave an unfillable gap because if we believe God created no one like us, then the purpose that he has given us is specifically tailored for us. Then you responding to the purpose that God has placed inside of your heart is directly connected to lives that will be changed. For first, there'd be moments even where we stand before the Lord and he almost reveals to us the things that we could have. The promises that could have been fulfilled. If we said at the end of the service, which would be amazing, right? We're closing with this. But if we, if we said at the end of the service, we've got, we've got a lot of money in the back and we're going to just, we're going to will it all out. Just take what you'd like. We just rolled out. You ever, if you've ever seen a million dollars in real life, it doesn't actually take up a lot of space. And if we just set out millions of dollars on the stage and say, you know what, today, we just want to bless you. You have as much as you want. No one would come down here and take a 20 and be like, just need a little gas money. That's all I need. That's all I need. I'm good. No, you would be finding duffel bags. You would be like knocking people over. You would like, it would get real angry in here real fast. Like, step away. Well, yeah, just be, get intense. But what happens is, is that we don't understand that really inside of our life, the promises that God has given to us really operate in the exact same way. It's things that have been made available to us, but often we just kind of meander up to it like, ah, like that. I just, one of these, like, I don't want to, I don't want everything. I just want, I just want enough to not go to hell. God wants to begin to restore some things inside of you. Third thing is this. Verse 16, it says, let us, your servants, see you work again and let your, our children see your glory. Thirdly, I believe that the Lord wants to begin to reveal some things to you. He, he, he wants you to return and he wants to restore, but he now has some things that he wants to speak to. I believe that because of the things that we walk through inside of our life, sometimes the Lord has to remind us of who we actually are. He has to remind us of where he wants to fully lead us. And then the fourth thing is this, and we're closing with this. 
Look all the way down to verse 17. It says, and may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, you make our efforts successful. And then Moses goes on in the 91, and you can read it in your own time. He says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty because he understood that, you know what, the things that I've walked through, the moments that I've experienced, the, the issues of my life were not there to sideline me or sidetrack me. Those were things that I allowed to happen. Those were there, and they are there to help point me and lead me to the place that God has for me. They're, they're there to help guide me into the future that God has in my life. Look, today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. And this is what that means for you today. It means that, like Moses, you might have walked through some stuff. You, you, you probably haven't tried to lead a million people around out of slavery and into the wilderness, and they're, and they're seeing God's provision, and all these things are happening, and, 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 but yet they're still ungrateful. I never had the moment where God, like, I walked out front and God, you know, I've got that, like, the stupid, like, monkey grass, you know, that stuff that's, like, gross, it's like a weed down here. Like, it's, like, it, it, I've never walked out front and it's just all been lit on fire and God said, take off your shoes like you're on holy ground. I'm like, it's never happened to me. But here's Moses experienced a lot of great victories that I could never imagine and a lot of great defeat that I've never experienced. And he says, look, at the end of this, at the end of this, God, you will show us your approval. It says that you will make our efforts successful. Yes, you will make our efforts successful. Here's what happens today, folks. I don't know what you've walked through and I don't know what you've experienced in your life. The band's gonna come back out at this time and we're gonna begin to close the service. But I don't, I don't, know, what, I don't know what you've experienced. But please, if I could beg anything from you, and I'm only 30 and I get it. A lot of you are old enough to be my parents and some of you are old enough to be my grandparents. I get it. I like, I, but here's the thing. Don't let the peripheral issues of life distract you from the person God is calling you to be. Don't let what you've walked through in your past, don't let what you thought was going to happen, don't let what you wished would have happened, don't let the struggles that you maybe have experienced in your marriage define and determine what your future looks like. Yes, maybe trust was broken, but God can restore it. Yes, maybe somebody wronged you, that he can heal you and forgive you of the bitterness that you're holding on towards them. The Bible says that if we can't forgive someone who sinned against us, God can't forgive us. Does it seem fair? To be honest, there's a lot of things in the word that don't seem fair, but that's, that's really one that doesn't seem fair. God, but what did the... Here's Moses. I love it. He goes on, he says, God, in every generation, you have been our home. Don't get it twisted. What Moses is not saying is, he's not saying, hey, in every season, I've got it right. It's not what he's saying. Just read, we read the word, we can find that Moses didn't always get it right. But what he is saying is that in every moment, in every season, you were faithful. I want to read a verse to you tonight, today out of Leviticus chapter 23, verse nine. I, 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 my prayer for you today is this, is that you could return to the place where you abide in the Lord, that he is your home, that he is your rock, he is your refuge. I love Easter for one, for one reason. It, it's a lobbed up opportunity to reach people for Christ. It's a moment, sorry, easiest moment of the year. 
The question I've had to ask myself is, will I respond? Will I tell somebody? But long before I can ever tell anybody, I've got to allow the Lord to start inside of me. You might be sitting here today and you say, I don't even know where he needs to begin. That's okay. He does. You don't have to force it. You don't have to try to fumble around until you find it. Really what it's about is a life of surrender that lays yourself down at the foot of the cross and says, God, you died for the one. I was the one. The person sitting next to me is the one. God, you died for the one. Folks, it's time to let the pain be in the past and move forward into the promise that God has for us. Moses could have said, God, I know I'm not getting in the promised land. And you know what? I don't understand. I led a bunch of fools out here into the wilderness. No, he didn't say that. He's God, in every season, you've been faithful. In every moment, you have remained. In the good season and the seasons and in the bad. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9, it says this. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I am giving you, and you harvest its first crops, bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest will lift it up before the Lord so that it may be accepted on your behalf. And on that same day, you must sacrifice a one-year-old male lamb with no defects as a burnt offering to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, God's got some things he wants to say to you today. He's got some things he wants to speak to you today. We're going to pray for you here in just a moment. And after this, after we're going to pray, we're going to give you an opportunity. What we're going to do is, is we've never done this before as a church. We don't do this for any of our, if any of our outreaches. Like I said, maybe we will in the future, but at this point, God has been gracious and faithful and provided and had But what we're going to do as a church collectively, my challenge to you is, is that as much as can, as many, as many who will participate. At the end of this service, we're going to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Our, our ushers are going to come around again. I'm going to give us an opportunity as a church. We're not talking about like, like, the Bible talks about the principle of what we sow, God restores 30, 60, and even 100 fold. Our challenge is this, is that I want us today as a body, myself included, my wife included, I, we're not going to give collectively as a couple. I want, I'm going to give, Bethany's going to give. I want to sow into the harvest that's coming. The harvest specifically speaking of Easter. Moses, the Lord said to Moses, he says, hey, look, give my people the following instructions. When you enter the land I'm giving you and you harvest its first crops, bring a portion of that for the Lord. What I want to do is, is I, the Bible says that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. I'm challenging everyone in here. I, I don't know. It, I'm not talking. Don't think this is like some, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day. And they said they've been in services before where someone had said, someone, the Lord told me someone here is going to cut a $15,000 check and we're going to wait till someone raises their hand to cut it. That would make me super, super uncomfortable. Uh, that's not what we're talking about, folks. But I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, what I'm going to give. I'll just tell you what I'm going to give. I, 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 I'm going to give, I'm going to sow $30. Here's the thing. You want to know a, a really interesting thing? Is if all of us gave 30 bucks, we could completely cover the entire outreach, promotional scope, cost that we've spent as a church for Easter. I'm going to give 30 bucks. Bethany's going to give 30 bucks. We're going to give 60 as a home. 
going to sow it into the kingdom of God. Why? Because I, I want to invest in the harvest that's coming. I, I, I want to invest in the souls that are going to be changed. I, I want to invest in what's happening. And I would just pray that you let the Lord lead you. This isn't like a by faith empty out your bank account type of thing. This is, this is a, let's bring our first fruit. Let's bring a, a portion of the first crop two weeks out. 14 days away to pray and believe that as we sow and as we reach and as we resource our community, we're going to see these lives pour into that building on Easter Sunday. We'll see over 300 people in this place. I'm believing that we'll have at least 50 people stay. It's going to be an amazing day. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. You can find more info and resources from Legacy House on our website, www.legacyhouse.life, or by following us on social media under the handle at LegacyHouseFL. Don't miss next week's podcast, From Our House to Yours.